0: Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Federation. My co-host, Education Director Remel Tenney, is on vacation. So, joining us in her stead is our executive director, the incomparable Christopher Puchal. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you, Maria. Coming up on the holidays, I'm like the guest that won't leave. So, I, I thank you guys. For <laughs> week.
0: Well, thanks, Chris, for joining us today. Americans United for Life is known as the legal arm of the pro life movement. Today, we will talk with a representative from this esteemed organization to find out what the future holds for pro-life legislation and advocacy. But first, we have a legislative update. A proposed constitutional amendment is a bad bill. Bad for taxpayers, bad for vulnerable women and girls, and bad for parents. House Bill 1888 is a highly regressive form of legislation which would wipe out protections against taxpayer funding of abortion at a time when the vast majority of taxpayers do not want their hard-earned money to pay for abortion. Public opinion polls consistently show that most Americans oppose taxpayer funding of abortion, which is the taking of an innocent, unrepeatable human life. This bad bill would also wipe out important protections such as parental consent and informed consent. In addition, the sweeping constitutional amendment would end protections against brutal late-term abortions, upending our time-tested Pennsylvania law. Under current law, babies of six months gestation and older are protected from abortion, except in the rare cases where the life of the mother is at stake, or the pregnancy would result in irreversible impairment of a major bodily function. House Bill 1888 is bad blatantly a disaster. It is a poorly drafted bill which would have disastrous effects on taxpayers, parents, and vulnerable women and girls. This bill is the wrong prescription for Pennsylvania. And now to our guest. Danielle Pimentel of Americans United for Life is working for an organization that has spent years helping states to protect women and children from the harm of abortion. Danielle, welcome to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure
2: to be here. Um, I'm very excited.
1: Based, it's great based, having you. Based on what you said, Marie, it looks like we have the right guests this week.
0: We do. We do. <laughs> An expert, let's say. So, Danielle, can you tell us what is the mission of Americans United for Life? Absolutely. Our mission is to advance
2: human right to life, the human right to life in culture, law and policy to where hopefully
0: one day all life is welcomed and protected in law. That sounds like a simple mission, but also (laughs) one that um, takes a lot of work. Um, So how long have you been with Americans United for Life? Yes, almost a year now. Okay, terrific. Mm-hmm. And um, do you remember where you were and what you were doing when you found out Roe versus Wade had been overturned? I do.
2: So I was not working for AUL at that time. Um, I was working for a different different group, a different company. Um, but I do remember I was. I had the Supreme Court page um, up on my computer, and I it was right around ten. I knew it was coming out that day, and so I kept refreshing. And I think the opinion popped up around 10, 11, I think. Uh, and I just remember audibly gasping <laughs> because I knew this was a big deal. So I immediately opened up the opinion, read through it, all of that. And I was texting, you know, my family and friends. And I knew I was living in a moment, truly a moment of history. Um, and so I I know many people that have been in the parliament for many years. And so I was so thankful just to see the fruit of their labor um, just come to fruition, you know, with Roe being overturned. And so, uh, and I was just very excited, honestly, because to be part of a post-Roe generation is truly amazing and a gift. And, you know, my child, my future children one day will also be part of that same generation. So it's just such a blessing. Um, so I mean, I remember being very excited and uh, just yeah, very joyful. And um, I was just texting and calling everybody, telling them I need to read the opinion and and all of that. So it was great.
1: That's interesting, Danielle. Maria and I were, as, other than being on the steps of the Supreme Court, we were as close to ground zero as we could be. When oh. the Dobbs decision dropped, we were both at the National Right to Life Convention in Atlanta a couple of years ago. So it was, but what you were saying about you definitely realized you were living through a moment is exactly the feeling I think we both had. Yeah, and it was just- surreal just to see the tears of joy of so many that
2: Mm -hmm. preceded
1: us in the movement that have worked for so long um, to finally, a lot of people thought the day would never come. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason I went to law school and I know it was a great day.
0: Absolutely. It was a terrific day for us all. Now, Danielle, how has the legal landscape changed since the overturn of Roe?
2: Well, by by overturning Roe, what Dobbs did was it returned the abortion issue back to the people and, and their elected representatives. So now, I mean, it's possible for states to protect life from the moment of conception. And we have, I think about, over 20 states that now protect life either at 12 weeks gestation or earlier. And that's just amazing. That's something that we likely would not have seen if Roe was still in play. So, you know, we're seeing the the legal movement change in that way where, you know, states now, the people and their elected representatives now – um, you know, have the ability to, to regulate abortion um, at greater lengths, which is awesome. And we're also seeing some new challenges as well. You know, for example, we're seeing a lot of legislative attacks on pregnancy resource centers. We're seeing a push to enshrine a right to abortion in state constitutions. But even, you know, even with these challenges, I really I really believe the pro-life movement is in a, a way better position to, to defend against these challenges, because what Dobbs did, what it removed you know, the faulty legal precedent that the pro-abortion activists have relied on for almost 50 years, right? It removed Roe, it removed Casey. And instead, you know, it's armed the pro-life movement with really strong legal precedents for protecting prenatal life, protecting maternal health and safety. So, you know, even with these challenges, I'm, I'm confident that we'll continue to see, um, you know, more life protected throughout the states.
1: And it's, it's interesting you talk about the shaky legal foundations. they related to my staff. I had the fortune, one of my former law professors who is avowedly pro-choice in his own words, acknowledges that, that Roe was a terribly decided opinion. Um, and I think at least Dobbs gives us the legal architecture and the legal keys to press for this type of more aggressive legislation. And as Maria well knows, Pennsylvania's been no stranger to these attacks on the Pregnancy Resource Center, certainly at the legislative and gubernatorial level in our state.
2: Exactly, exactly. And Dobbs acknowledged, the court did, that states have a legitimate interest to regulate abortion, to either, like I said, preserve penile life, to protect maternal health and safety, to preserve the integrity of the medical profession. So it it really provided some strong legal precedents to to move forward and, and continue fighting for life.
0: And I wonder, do you have some favorite success stories you can share? They, they can be either pre-row or post-row, but but something that uh, would give our people hope. Absolutely. Well, just this past
2: year, um, since the year I've been here, something that's been incredible to see is in Wyoming. They um, this past legislative session, pardon me, they enacted a law that protects life from conception, and it was actually modeled after one of our model bills called the Ready for Life Act. And so our government affairs director, Bradley Near, he worked with that heavily in that and saw that from start to finish. Um, but that was just a great, great win for the pro-life movement to see another state protect life from conception. Um, and our Ready for Life Act, again, basically protects life as soon as pregnancy is detectable, while also ensuring that Mothers who are, are miscarrying are still receiving treatment, of course, or having an ectopic pregnancy, um, things like that. So it's a great bill, and, and we were happy to see that be a resource to um, a state like Wyoming, and to see them enact such a great, great protections for life. So that's currently being in. Uh, currently litigated, being litigated right now, but we are monitoring that, um, but that was a great win for us to see. Um, we do, obviously, like, we do model legislation, meaning we offer that um, on our website, so it's always great to see um, a state being able to use that and enact really strong life-affirming laws. So um, another thing is this year uh, that I would say is a success is that we've helped Oppose a lot of uh, pro-assisted suicide legislation. So what we're seeing across the states, and we've been seeing this for years, is a push to either legalize or expand physician-assisted suicide. Um, and so that basically is the process by which a physician would prescribe. Uh, drugs, lethal drugs, to patient to end their own lives, and so you know, this year many states were facing legislation to legalize it. And right now, there are only eleven jurisdictions that have legalized it in the U.S., but many other states were facing legislation that would legalize it in their state. Uh, and so, we heavily opposed that, whether that was through testimony, working with lawmakers, helping educate them on the topic, and no bills were passed other than Nevada, but the governor did veto that bill. So. Overall, I can say that there's there was no new states that legalized assisted suicide this year, which is a, a great win. Um, and we've done a lot of work in that area. We, we did a webinar this past um, – a couple months ago on assisted suicide for state policy leaders just to educate on the topic, raise more awareness about what it is, the harms um, that it causes to vulnerable persons, and the kind of messages that it really um, – Raises or promotes, I guess, to to people with disabilities, to the elderly, um, things like that, and and we've also released some scholarship on the topic. Um, our litigation counsel Carolyn McDonald did a great policy report on assisted suicide, so we also released that this year. So we heavily focused on on opposing efforts to legalize and expand assisted suicide, and we saw some great wins in that area this year.
0: That's tremendous, and I I saw on the website. Um, that you have an American Life Initiative. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So our American Life Initiative is basically our comprehensive
2: approach to protecting every human life in a post roe world. So it's essentially a battle plan to continue fighting for life in the states, uh, through the courts, and also at the federal level with, of course, the ultimate destination being one day all human life protected in the US. So under our American Life Initiative, we we released several new model bills. Um, as I mentioned before, we have these model bills on our website. Um, and we believe that these are bills that will help accomplish that goal of protecting all life um, and also continue building that life affirming culture. So some of those bills, I mentioned one earlier as well, the Ready for Life Act. Uh, another bill is called the Free Speech for Life Act, which essentially just prohibits counties or municipalities from um, infringing on the First Amendment rights of um, individuals outside of reproductive health centers. Uh, We also have our Empowering Families to Thrive Act, which is a bill that would allow for individuals, uh, taxpayers to receive a tax credit if they donate to an organization that provides services to children in foster care placement programs or underserved children, children in those circumstances. Uh, we also have our other bill, our Pregnancy Options Tax Credit Act, which is another tax credit bill that would allow for taxpayers to receive the tax credit if they donate to Pregnancy Resource Centers. So those are some of the new bills that we released under the American Life Initiative to, again, continue building that culture of life to one day, hopefully, again, seeing that cultural shift in America where all human life is, is valued, no matter if you're in the womb or outside of the womb. So... Also, under the American Life Initiative, we um, released our Federal Constitution Amendment, which is called our um, Abortion Abolition Amendment, and so that would clearly establish, of course, the, the abolishment of abortion in America. And we think this is the ultimate goal for the pro-life movement. And so we released that under our American Life Initiative as well. So we kind of we also have various articles under that um, topic on our on our page on our web page. So we have various articles on just other strategies, federal strategies, state strategies, um, things like that, that, you know, states or Congress can pursue to protect the unborn and maternal health and safety. So women.
1: So you're, you're keeping the uh, the nuclear bomb in your arsenal for the day that's <laughs> ready to be deployed, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's great, Danielle. I mean, a lot of times I, I Marie and I give a lot of talks before let's say, political audiences as well as in educational settings. But a lot of the questions people have is, well, how do I get started? How do I mm-hmm. get a model? How do I get lift? And I do a lot of help in terms of governance with with bylaws. But I think it, it really is incredibly useful for people to at least, like anything else, if you see a template or a model, everyone's going to adapt it to their own needs and wants and desires. Right. Um, but it's good that you at least have you know the, the basis that they can do that in that platform.
2: Right. And and we, I mean, we hope it's a resource and uh, our model bills, as you mentioned, as you stated, they're able to be adapted, of course, and, and states can use them in any way that um, is helpful to them to, to pass life affirming laws. So uh, we hope that they're a resource and we work with a lot of lawmakers and policy groups every year uh, to promote those bills, but also to help with any other bills that they may have um, too as well. So I don't know if I mentioned this. I think um, an article was posted. It was not a friendly article, but it did state that Americans United, United for Life was responsible for over 400 pro-life bills over the years. So that to us was a great compliment. Whether they meant it as a compliment, I'm not sure, but we thought that was a great compliment.
1: If if, if they're not bothering you, you're not doing your job. So
0: Yep. <laughs> and and the fact of the matter is is that people may not be aware that these laws actually do save lives. Right. You know, we we have a lot of people who might say, "Well, you can't legislate morality. What good are the laws? People will break the laws." But are you finding that these laws do, in fact, save lives?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we see too in in other states. It's it's hard though. What's difficult is that abortion data, as you know, is is not reported accurately. So it's always a little bit difficult to see in terms of how the laws are are being effective in each state. But we are, I mean, we do receive reports of abortions being lower in states that have enacted stronger, of course, stronger gestational limits. So we are seeing that. And um, for example, in states that do allow pregnancy uh, or tax credit for pregnancy centers, for people who donate to pregnancy centers, in states that have enacted something similar, we've heard reports of uh, pregnancy resource centers being able to receive, you know, numerous donations. And of course, they're mainly run by donations. Um, or funded by donations, if not always. So we're seeing a lot more women being serviced that way because if these pregnancy resource centers are receiving more money, then of course they're able to serve more women um, and help women either through go through, you know, healing from their abortion or provide them with other options. Um, or other resources, so we know that these laws are having an um, impact. You know, we're seeing more women being empowered to choose life. We're seeing more unborn lives saved, um, and so you know, it, it's it's fun, a great time to be in the pro life movement. Truly, and so I'm just very thankful to to be with AUL and to be able to offer these model bills, which we've seen be very effective.
1: Yeah, certainly, as as the old Chinese proverb says, it is it is definitely an interesting time to be living through. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's good that, that, you know, you see that the metrics, the numbers are coming down because, as Marie and I both know, you know, we we need those sort of beacons of light to keep us going. Right. Um, I remember in the immediate wake of Dobbs, when some of the so-called trigger bans were being passed in, in the heartland states, I was on the beach of the Jersey Shore and a woman <laughs> that I was relaxing with said, oh, my God, you know, this, this is going to make it harder for women to get abortions. And I simply said, good. And <laughs> That was met with deafening silence.
2: I bet. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely were hearing reports of, of, again, more unborn lives being saved,
0: more women being empowered, which is, of course, great to hear. And I'm curious, Danielle, you know, how did you come into this line of work? Because I I know I didn't grow up thinking, gosh, I'm going to be a pro-life advocate when I grow up. So how did it transpire for you? That's a great question. So I, I feel
2: like I was born into a pro-life family. I'm I'm one of 12 children. And so my mom has always and dad have always been extremely pro-life. And I grew up in a church that so was very active in the pro-life movement. So I feel like it's always been a part of who I am. Uh, and I've been so thankful to have that upbringing. And my mom has always been very, very active as well in the pro-life movement. So just growing up in that and and just being, you know, aware of of, you know, what abortion is, what it does to women, I think was very impactful on me and I was thankful to have that. And then just be, you know, becoming an adult, I went to law school, I worked in private practice for a little bit, but uh you know, I always had a desire to do something more fulfilling. And so when when Roe was overturned, I I just thought it was a great great time to get involved in the pro-life movement and that made me look for jobs in that area. And that's kind of how I got started because I, I'd been in the pro-life movement in a way, but I wanted to be able to do more. And if, if I can utilize, you know, my education and the skills I've I've learned from practice to, you know, help women and to ensure that women are protected and unborn life is protected, then I want to do that. And so that really spurred me on to, again, to seek out jobs where I can, where I can do that. So AUL has allowed me to do that, and it's been such a blessing. I'm just so thankful to be here, and I look forward to all the great work that we continue to do in the future as well.
1: Sure, they're lucky to have you, Daniel.
0: Thank you. That's very kind. Yes, they are very fortunate. And can you tell us, what is your hope for the future of the pro-life movement? That's a great question. I, I think, I mean, I hope that we will continue
2: to work together, of course, to one day see human life protected from conception to natural death, Um, you know, and and I hope to see, you know, more young people as well, the younger generation emboldened to join the pro-life movement, to use their voice. They're so impactful when they do. And and so I hope to see that as well, but I, overall, I'm very confident with just the pro-life movement and, and their ability to, even though we all have different strategies to still come together with our common goal, of course, is to protect life. No matter who you are, where you come from, the circumstances of your conception is to protect life. And so I'm I'm excited for the future because I know that we're going to see so many great wins. We already have seen great wins this past year, but I think that we're going to see a lot more pro-life victories to come. And I I believe one day we will see the abolishment of abortion. And so that's my hope for the future. And I I, I believe that it
0: will happen.
1: Your lips to God's ears, Danielle.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we just heard news as we are recording this that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be taking up a case involving the so-called abortion pill. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are confused about that. They don't realize the dangers of chemical abortions. Um, what is your hope with the Supreme Court case?
2: Yes. So that's the Alliance for Hippocratic um, Medicine versus the FDA case. And so you know, chemical abortion pills are extremely dangerous. And as you mentioned, many people are not aware of that. I think chemical abortions are have surpassed now. I think majority they're the majority of abortions, I guess, the method of abortion that that women have. So many women are receiving these pills, and fortunately, they're suffering you know major complications, whether that's hemorrhages, um, infections, sometimes even death. So we know I think there's about 28 women that we know of at least that have died from chemical abortion pills. And that's 28 too many. And so these pills are very dangerous. Women are not receiving um, any, you know, information about the risks of these drugs when they receive them. Sometimes they're receiving them from without even seeing a doctor. So the the current FDA regulations that they have for these drugs um, really put women in harm's way. And so that's what this case is about is is to, you know, really challenge first the approval of these chemical abortion pills, but also the deregulation um, of these chemical abortion pills because the FDA approved them initially. And then they had certain restrictions on the drugs, meaning a woman had to come in person. They had to be dispensed in person originally. Um, She could only get them up to 10 weeks or seven weeks, um pardon me and and you know had to come back in for a follow-up visit you know there were certain restrictions even then of course it was still dangerous but then over the years the FDA slowly removed these restrictions to where now under the current regime they can receive them you know through the mail they don't even have to see a doctor um you know and, and they can receive them up to 10 weeks so a lot of these women are not being informed of these risks. They're having these abortions in their own home without any medical supervision. And so it's a very scary and traumatic experience. And so the case is challenging the FDA's actions in doing that. Because as I mentioned, it's really put women in harm's way. So I hope with this litigation that it will, of course, we would love to see these these pills taken off the market completely. That would be amazing. But if anything, at least Certain safeguards put back in place to ensure the protection of women that are taking these drugs.
1: And and you're right, Danielle. I mean, this has been a consistent focus of the federation's messaging and 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 outreach about the dangers of these bills. I mean, one thing I found interesting was for this to get approved at all and fast track. Mm-hmm. They had the FDA had to find that pregnancy constituted a serious life threatening illness. Right. And that just jumped out the page at me, and into to my shame, I hadn't really been been keeping track of it. But what, that, along with, I think, the progressive defunding and attacks on the pregnancy resource centers really puts into question how seriously the other side is when the rhetorical messaging is we're concerned with women's reproductive health. Well, essentially, this bill makes that collateral damage to abortion. Um, right. And I think that's that's really the critical importance of this case.
2: Mm. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and that's the issue with how they approved the drug. You you hit the nail on the head. They approved it under what they call subpart H of their regulations, which is reserved for drugs that treat a serious or life-threatening illness. And pregnancy is not a serious or life-threatening illness. And so, you know, even the sponsor of the drug initially Actually pushed back on the FDA and said they don't think that that you should approve this drug under Subpart H because it's not pregnancy is not a serious or life threatening illness. So there are of course issues with the drug even being approved in the first place, and it you know we'd argue that it shouldn't have been, of course. Um, so hopefully we will see a good result with the the Supreme Court, and it'll, whatever they decide it will be sent back to to the district court, and so we'll see what happens. But we're hopeful.
0: And in the couple of minutes we have left, can you tell me what what are some of the goals that that you have at this point in time with regard to pro life?
2: Well, in my role, so I'm I'm one of the policy attorneys, so I really focus on helping lawmakers enact life affirming laws and so we I do that either by helping draft legislation, we offer of course our own model legislation, or I help with testimony or education on certain various pro life topics. So my goal, I guess, for the, you know this upcoming legislation is to, of course, see more pro-life laws being introduced, especially in in states that are not as friendly to pro-life <laughs> laws. But to continue to to find ways to strategize to go on the offensive, even in these you know tougher states, um, to to really set the narrative when it comes to what a, what is abortion, how it harms women, um, and other ways that we can truly empower women to choose life. And, you know, abortion is anything but empowering for women. And so if I'm able to help, you know, even put forth some good bills that that have that strong messaging, that's amazing. And, and hopefully we're going to see, you know, more pro-life laws enacted. And so that's my goal as well, to see more pro-life laws, not just bills, not just introduced, but also enacted this upcoming year. And, um, you know, whether it's on abortion or whether it's against assisted suicide, anything like that. So, and, and, you know, just this past year, I think our attorneys, um, we testified either in support of pro-life bills or against anti-life bills in 17 different States on 40 different bills. So I hope in this coming legislative session, um, across the States, we're able to do that as well and, and be a resource to, uh, other lawmakers across the States and hopefully provide some, some good, um, You know, legal review of these bills that will help them and aid them in their decision whether or not to enact a certain law.
0: Danielle Pimentel of Americans United for Life, thank you so much for being on Positively Pro-Life. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here. It was a great conversation and thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life.